You're listening to Mystery Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we'll discuss the mysterious death of Edgar Allan Poe. Welcome to Mystery Still Unsolved. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. We are smack dab in the middle of October, which in some ways is exciting because that means Halloween is just around the corner. But on the other hand, I'm a bit sad because I don't want my favorite time of year to be over. One thing that makes me very, very excited that it is finally mid-October is the fact that the second volume of Unsolved Mysteries has been released on Netflix, so now I have some binge-watching to do. I can't wait to watch them and to later discuss them with you starting in November. I hope you guys enjoyed the last episode with my mom, Maddie. She's super funny. I hope you guys enjoyed her. I know that the sound wasn't always the best in the episode, but I learned a new way um, to do it. So in the instance where I might have a guest on the show again, I'm going to try that way out. And I think that the sound quality will be more successful. But I think for doing it over the phone, over FaceTime, I mean, it was much better than I had been anticipating. So, you know, you guys are growing with me. We're learning together. Um, So thanks for hanging in there with me. If you are not already following us on our Instagram account at Mystery Still Unsolved, you totally should. I love to hear your thoughts and your stories. Um, Last week, I um, did a call out for like a ghost story that may have happened to you personally. And I want more, I want more stories. So if you haven't already hop on there and tell me your ghost story, something that happened to you or something that happened to somebody that, you know, I want to hear all of the paranormal things. Um, and it also helps me to feel more engaged with you guys and it helps me get to know you. Um, also, if you know of any unsolved mysteries that you would like me to cover, you can always send me a direct message there. I'm always on the lookout for a great case. Today, we are going to dive right into the third episode of our Halloween series. So far, we've covered, this is a pop quiz, do you remember? We've covered Jack the Ripper and Haunted Hotels with my mom. So if you haven't taken a listen to those, I would highly recommend them. There are some truly fascinating tidbits that I did not know before researching those two topics. So um, go ahead and take a listen to them. Today, we are going to be discussing the mysterious death of Edgar Allan Poe. And while I knew that Edgar Allan Poe was a writer of the macabre, I did not know that his life and death had both been shrouded in mystery. So without further ado... Let's talk Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe was born on January 19, 1809 in Boston, Massachusetts. He was an American short story writer, a poet, a critic, and an editor who is famous for his obsession and cultivation of all things mystery and morbid. Edgar Allan Poe was one of the most important and influential American writers of the 19th century. He was the first author to try to make a professional living as a writer and not just do it as like some sort of a side hobby. Most of Poe's work was inspired by events that either happened to to him or around him. 
His poem, The Raven, which he wrote in 1845, numbers among the best known poems in national literature. Poe was the son of English-born actress Elizabeth Arnold, and his dad, David Poe Jr., was an actor from Baltimore, Maryland. After his mother died in 1811, so when Poe was only maybe two years old, maybe a little bit younger than that, he was taken into the home of John Allen. I'm not really sure why he didn't just stay with his father. I don't know if it was grief. I don't know if there were just too many kids. I'm not really sure. But he was taken into the home of John Allen, a Richmond merchant who is presumably his godfather. And his wife had always wanted children, but for whatever reason, they weren't able to have them. So from 1811 forward, his godfather, Richard, and, or sorry, his godfather, John Allen, and his wife raised um, Edgar Allan Poe as their own. Um, from 1815 to 1820, he was sent to Scotland and England, where he was given a formal education that continued when he returned to Virginia. For 11 months in 1826, Poe attended the University of Virginia. However, his addiction to gambling made his godfather terribly upset, and his godfather, in a sense, like cut him off. He refused to continue paying for his education. So Poe was forced to return back to Richmond. Upon his arrival, he learned that the love of his life, Elmira Royster, had become engaged to another man. And Poe didn't want to stick around and watch the love of his life pursue a life with um, another guy. So he moved to Boston. In 1827, he was able to publish a pamphlet of poems. They were more on the youthful side and not of the morbid variety. And he did so with some success. However, poverty forced him to enlist in the army. However, upon learning at the death of his sweet foster mother, whom he had loved dearly, his foster father purchased Poe's release from the army and helped him get into West Point, which, hello, we just talked about West Point in our last episode, do you remember? My mom stayed in a haunted hotel within the walls of the U.S. military, um, what is it? It's like a base, the U.S. military base that holds the academy and the hotel and all these really cool things. So we just talked about West Point last week. Poe was not very excited that his dad had done that for him. Um, he did not want to attend a military academy. So he successfully um, sought expulsion in a sense. Um, and he was actually able to accomplish this within one week of starting school because he skipped all of his drills and classes. He promptly proceeded to move to New York City, which, as everyone knows, is where you go if you want to become an accomplished writer. Upon his arrival, he had already had a volume of poems that he had created over the years, and they contained several masterpieces that some of you might know. After some success in New York, he was able to relocate to Baltimore, where he finally began to write short stories, which is what most of us know him for. In 1833, his MS found in a bottle. I don't know. It says MS dot. So I don't know if it's Miss found in a bottle or MS found in a bottle. But anyways, that um, poem that he wrote or that short story that he wrote, wrote won $50 from a Baltimore weekly contest and adjusted for inflation that came to just over $1,500. 
By 1835, he was in Richmond as an editor of the Southern Literary Messenger, and there he was able to make a name for himself as a critical reviewer, and he secretly married his young cousin, Virginia Clem. And double ill, Virginia was only 13 at the time of their secret wedding. Double ill. Although this arrangement makes me want to throw up in my mouth, people claim that he was a very affectionate and devoted husband and son-in-law, and Virginia seemed to be genuinely happy with the arrangement. So, I mean, I guess I'm glad he wasn't a douche, but it does seem a little bit gross. So I also wanted to know, I did a little bit of research because I was like, okay, if this is like a 12th cousin removed, then I guess it's not that big of a deal. Um, I actually have a, my dad had a friend who married a woman with the same last name as him. So he had to like, they had to double check and just make sure like, okay, um, we've never met each other before, but how closely related are we? And so they did a blood test and they found out that they were like 21st cousins removed or whatever. So it didn't end up being a big deal. Um, However, this was not the case in Edgar Allan Poe and Virginia, his father and her mother were literally brother and sister, so they were first cousins. And until this day, it has not been completely clarified why this unusual union occurred, because if you can believe it, it's not just weird now, it was weird even back then. So people just don't really know why that happened. Um, Poe was, however, dismissed from his editor job in Richmond, Virginia, apparently due to his drinking. And his addiction to alcohol would continue to follow him throughout the remainder of his life. He was rarely found to be intoxicated in public, but he did drink out and about in the town. And as you may know, public drinking was a big no-no during that time. So while he probably would not have been seen as a substance, like it wouldn't have seemed as a substance abuse problem today, or he probably wouldn't even be considered an alcoholic today. Um, Back then, people believed that because he was drinking in public, um, that he was a drug addict. So there's that. After his forced resignation at the Southern Literary Messenger, he returned to New York City where he published a long prose called The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, the inspiration behind Moby Dick. In 1839, he became the co-editor of Burton's Gentleman's Magazine in Philadelphia. In that magazine, he held a monthly feature where he was finally able to write stories of supernatural horror, which he most enjoyed. He quit in 1840, but returned one year later when he was offered a job to be the head editor of Graham's Ladies and Gentlemen's Magazine, which was sort of a spinoff to the original magazine. In this magazine, he printed The Murders in the Rue Morgue, which was his first detective story. In 1843, he won $100, which would be about $3,500 today, for writing The Gold Bug. And this prize not only gave him quite a bit of money, but it also gave him great publicity. A big New York City magazine swooped him up in a hot minute, and in New York City is where he wrote his most infamous poem, The Raven. Writing this poem gave him national and international fame. However, 
This victory was to be short-lived because Poe's wife, Virginia, died in January 1847 of tuberculosis at the very, very young age of 24. I mean, they had been married for a long time, but remember, she was 11 when, or not 11, she was 13 when they got married, so they had only been married for 11 years. Um, many believe that Virginia was the inspiration behind the poem um, with Annabelle Lee. In the poem, Annabelle Lee dies because her and her lover's love were so strong that the angels grew jealous of her and killed her. Poe wrote Annabelle Lee two years after his wife's death. The moral of the poem is that true love never ends, even when the person that you love is gone. Death isn't the end to love because love is so strong that it won't depart your soul. The following year, Poe went to Rhode Island where he attempted to woo a certain Sarah Helen Whitman, who was also a poet. There was a very, very brief engagement because Poe had a close but platonic friendship with two women, Annie Richmond and another woman, um, Sarah Anna Lewis. And they literally were just like really awesome friends. There was no like sexual tension between them at all, but they also helped him out financially. I feel like they were kind of, I got the vibe that they were kind of like sponsors or like they just really believed in his writing and they would like pay him so that he could live comfortably while he was doing his writing. Um, And this apparently rubbed Sarah Whitman the wrong way, and so she terminated their engagement and their relationship. In 1849, Poe returned to Richmond and finally became engaged to the love of his life, Elmira Royster. Um, You might have remembered her from the beginning. Remember, he came home and she was engaged to another man. Um, But by then, she had been um, unfortunately widowed by her first husband, and everything just kind of came full circle for Edgar Allan Poe. Um, They were able to enjoy a happy remainder of their lives with maybe only one or two alcoholic relapses for Poe. Poe's work owes much to the rise of romanticism with the occult and the satanic. People were very interested in that back in the day. And it's kind of when it was it's kind of when it was like first deemed somewhat appropriate to be entertained by that. I mean, I feel like if you had done that back in the witch trial days, you probably would have been burned at the stake. But now it was at least a bit more socially acceptable to be interested in the macabre and to be openly interested in the macabre. It owes much also to his own feverish dreams, which he applied in a raw extent to his writings and works. His productions are closely dependent on his own powers of imagination and his unique elaborate techniques. He had a keen and magical gift as a poet. He was a dramatic storyteller, and he was greatly appreciated in his lifetime. So he wasn't like Van Gogh, one of those artists who wasn't appreciated until after his death. He was able to achieve notoriety. He was able to achieve some form of wealth while he was alive. Edgar Allan Poe was my kind of guy because his character had a strange and unique duality. The man seems to almost have had two people coexisting inside of him. To those that he loved, if you were on his good side, he was gentle and devoted wholeheartedly to the relationship or the friendship. But if you're on his bad side, if you were someone that he disliked, then you were the subject 
of his sharp criticism, and anybody found on that side found him to be quite irritable and self-centered. Some even accused him of lacking any form of decent principles. Much of Poe's most famous work deals with terror and sadness. However, the poet was a pleasant person. He apparently had a great sense of humor. He had a sensitivity to the beauty and sweetness of women, which inspired and is portrayed in many of his poems. Um, I believe, I didn't read this anywhere, but I think that maybe this comes from a deep sorrow that he had with never being able to make memories with his biological mother and he kind of idealized her memory and like the memories that could have been had she not um, died. Also, he was very, very fond of his foster mother who had passed away. So she meant very much to him as well. And so I kind of wonder if that's where this, you know, love of the sweetness and the beauty of women came from. Um, and I just totally love Edgar Allan Poe because I feel like he's like me. So I'm obsessed with terror and sadness. I read about it all the time. It's a major part of my life because I'm doing this podcast. And even when I'm not doing the podcast, I'm constantly researching it. But I'm also a pleasant person. I don't think that you'd meet me in person and be like, wow, she's so sad. She must read about murder all the time. Like, I think that it's like a combination of the two. And I just, it, you can have that beautiful juxtaposition of loving the macabre and the morbid, but also being hopeful and optimistic. So we know that Poe's life's work was creating works of mystery and macabre, but did you know that his death was, and still is to this day, shrouded in mystery? So it all begins sort of like a short story written by Edgar Allan Poe himself, Um, It was raining on October 3rd, 1849, and a man named Joseph Walker was on his way to Gunner's Hall because it was election day in America. Um, I don't know when they made the switch from having election day from October to November, but it was election day on October 3rd. Um, When Walker arrived at Gunner's Hall, he saw a man, and the man was delirious and dressed in shabby clothing, and he was lying in a gutter. The man was semi-conscious and unable to move, but as Walker approached him to take a closer look, he discovered something unexpected. The man was Edgar Allan Poe. And I think that this just goes to show how famous Edgar Allan Poe was, because I can only imagine like how disheveled and how dirty he must have been from laying in the gutter. But I mean the guy noticed him right away and was like, this is the famous writer, Edgar Allan Poe, that I just found. So Walker did what any sane person would do. He asked Poe if he knew anyone in Baltimore, and then he wrote that person a letter. (gasps) What? Why did you write a letter? This seems like a very urgent matter. And like literally the letter says something along the effects. I didn't write it down. I probably should have. But it says something along the effects of, hello, I found Edgar Allan Poe in a gutter. Um, Can you please help him? Like how long did it take for a letter? Maybe it was a telegram. I don't know. The source that I was reading said it was a letter, but I'm hoping it was a telegram because there was a bit of urgency with what was going on. Um, And it was urgent because four days later on October 7th, 
Poe never regained consciousness, and he was never able to explain how he had come to be found in soiled clothes that were not even his own. He was incoherent on the streets. Instead, Poe spent his final days wavering between fits of delirium, gripped by visual hallucinations. However, the night before his death, according to his attending physician, Poe repeatedly called out the name Reynolds, 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 a figure who to this day remains a mystery. The cause of death listed on his autopsy was phrenitis, or swelling of the brain. The mysterious circumstances surrounding his death have led many to speculate about the true cause of Poe's demise. Here are just a few theories as to what really could have happened to Edgar Allan Poe, the father of detective stories. Um, the most common, there's like two really common ones. The first common one is a a beating, essentially. So in 1867, one of the first theories to deviate from either phrenitis or alcohol poisoning was published by biographer E. Oak Smith in her article, Autobiography, I can't read this word, Autobiographic Notes, Edgar Allan Poe. At the instigation of a woman, Smith writes, who considered herself injured emotionally by Poe, um, he was cruelly beaten, blow upon blow, by a ruffian or a group of ruffians who knew of no other way to avenge the woman's supposed emotional injuries. It is well known that a brain fever followed. Other accounts also mention ruffians who had beaten Poe senselessly before his death. As Eugene Didier wrote in his 1872 article, The Grave of Poe, that while in Baltimore, uh, Poe ran into some friends from West Point. Remember, he was at West Point for like a couple weeks. Um, and they called upon him to go have drinks with them. And Poe was unable to handle his handle his liquor. He was actually like in the process of trying to sober up. Um, it's believed that he became ma madly drunk after a single glass of champagne, after which he left his friends and he began to wander the streets. A lot of people think that in his drunken state, it made him quite vulnerable and he was robbed and beaten by thugs, ruffians, and left insensible in the street all night long. Uh, the second theory is cooping. Cooping. That's with the C, not pooping. Um, others believe that Poe fell victim to a practice known as cooping, which is something that I had never heard of before. And I'm assuming I've never heard of it because at least I hope it doesn't exist in America anymore. But it's essentially a method of voter fraud practiced by gangs in the 19th century. Um, it's basically an unsuspecting victim. They would be kidnapped, disguised, and forced to vote for a specific candidate multiple times over and over again under multiple disguises. So I, I literally can't even imagine just like picking somebody and then like beating them or scaring them so bad that you just change their clothes and be like, okay, go vote for this person. All right, now change your outfit. Go vote again. Like that just seems so crazy to me. Um, voter fraud was extremely common in Baltimore around the mid 1800s. And the polling site as we remember, where, Rocker, where Walker found the disheveled Poe was a known place that Coopers brought their victims, and it was right outside of Gunner's Hall, which is where people were going to vote. The fact that Poe was found delirious on election day 
might not be a coincidence. Over the years, the cooping theory has come to be one of the more widely accepted explanations for Poe's strange demeanor before his death. Before Prohibition, voters were given alcohol after voting as sort of like a reward. Like, now now we get a sticker, but back then they give you alcohol. Um, had Poe been forced to vote multiple times in a cooping scheme, this might explain his semi-conscious ragged state. Um, around the late 1870s, Poe's biographer J.H. Ingram received several letters that blamed Poe's death on a cooping scheme. A letter from William Hand Brown, a member of the faculty at Johns Hopkins, explains that the general belief here is that Poe was seized by one of these gangs, which, okay, I'm, I'm going rogue right now, and we all know that how that works. I, like, end up, like, stumbling and mumbling at my words, but you would think that if you were a gang and you were selecting a victim for cooping, don't you think you'd want to pick somebody that's maybe not so well known? I don't know. Like, wouldn't you want to pick somebody that's not famous for fear that maybe he'd be recognized? I don't know. Just my thought. Um, but basically, let me go back to where I was. Johns Hopkins explains that the general belief here is that Poe was seized by one of these gangs, his death happening just at election time, and um, cooped, stupefied with liquor, dragged out and voted, and then turned adrift to die. So, Yeah. I really hope cooping isn't the thing anymore, but on the slight chance that it is, make sure you're careful this upcoming election. I wouldn't want this to happen to you. Uh, the third theory is alcohol poisoning, which we kind of touched on in number two, um, but a lot of the ideas that have come up over the years have centered around the fact that Poe couldn't handle his alcohol. It has been documented that after a glass of wine, he was staggering drunk. His sister apparently had the same problem. It seems to be something hereditary. So there you go. Nature versus nurture. Um, months before his death, Poe became a vocal member of the temperance movement, which eschewed alcohol. Um, it's something that like we said, he had struggled with all of his life. Uh, biographer Susan Archer Tally Weiss recalls in her biography the last days of Edgar Allan Poe, an event toward the end of Poe's time in Richmond that might be relevant to theorists that prefer a death by drinking demise for Poe. Poe had fallen ill in Richmond, Virginia, and after making a somewhat miraculous recovery, was told by his attending physician that another such alcohol related attack would prove to be fatal. According to Weiss, Poe replied that if people would not tempt him, he could not fail, suggesting that the first illness was brought on by a bout of drinking with friends. Those around Poe during his final days seem convinced that the author did indeed fall into that temptation and ended up drinking himself to death. As his close friend J.P. Kennedy wrote on October 10th, 1849, on Tuesday last, which last Tuesday, Edgar A. Poe died in town here at the hospital from the effects of a debauchery. He fell in with some companion here who seduced him to the bottle, which it was said he had renounced some time ago. The consequence was fever, delirium, and madness, and in a few days, a termination of his sad career in the hospital. Poor Poe, a bright but unsteady light, has been awfully quenched, end quote. Though the theory that Poe's drinking led to his death fails to explain his five-day disappearance 
or his secondhand clothes on October 3rd, it was nonetheless a popular theory propagated by Snodgrass after Poe's death. Snodgrass, a member of the temperance movement, gave lectures across the country blaming Poe's death on binge drinking. Modern science, however, has thrown a wrench into Snodgrass's talking points. Samples of Poe's hair from removed after his death show low levels of lead, which is an indication that Poe remained faithful to his vow of sobriety up until his demise. Also, do we know the fellow or fellows who tempted him with the bottle, the drinks? Was this perhaps a ruse used to get him immobile so that a much more sinister crime could be done to him without his recollection or ability to fight against it? Just something to think about. Uh, The fourth theory is carbon monoxide poisoning. In 1999, so fairly recently, um, public health researcher Albert Denay argued that Poe's death was a result of carbon monoxide poisoning from coal gas that was used for indoor lighting during the 19th century. Donay took clippings of Poe's hair and tested them for certain heavy metals that would be able to reveal the presence of coal gas. The test came back inconclusive, which led biographers and historians to largely discredit Donay's theory. Theory number five is heavy metal poisoning. Heavy metal day! Isn't that like a reference from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? It's from something. Yeah, I think that's totally what it's from. Okay, while Danae's test didn't reveal levels of heavy metal consistent with carbon monoxide poisoning, the test did reveal elevated levels of mercury in Poe's system months before his death. According to Semter, Poe's mercury levels were most likely elevated as a result of a cholera epidemic he'd been exposed to in July of 1849 while in Philadelphia. Poe's doctor prescribed colomel or mercury chloride. Mercury poisoning, Semter says, could help explain some of Poe's hallucinations and delirium before his death. However, The levels of mercury that were found in Poe's hair, even at their highest, are still 30 times below the level consistent with mercury poisoning. And they still don't explain those dang clothes. Six, rabies. In 1996, Dr. R. Michael Benetez was participating in a clinical pathologic conference where doctors are given patients along with a list of symptoms and instructed to diagnose and compare with other doctors as well as the written record. The symptoms of the anonymous patient E.P., a writer from Richmond, were clear. E.P. had succumbed to rabies. According to E.P.'s supervising physician, Dr. J.J. Moran, E.P. had been admitted admitted to a hospital due to lethargy and confusion. Once admitted, EP's condition began a rapid downward spiral. Shortly, the patient was exhibiting delirium, visual hallucinations, wide variations in pulse rate, and rapid shallow breathing. Within four days, the median length of survival after the onset of serious rabies symptoms, EP was dead. 
E.P. Benetez soon found out wasn't just any author from Richmond. It was Poe, whose death the Maryland cardiologist had diagnosed as a clear-cut case of rabies, a fairly common virus in the 19th century. And boy, am I glad that it's not common now because it seems terrifying. Um, running counter to any prevailing theories at the time, Benetta's um, diagnosis ran in the September 1996 issue of the Maryland Medical Journal. As Benetez pointed out in his article, without DNA evidence, it's impossible to say with 100% clarity that Poe succumbed to the rabies virus. Um, but there are a few kinks in the theory, including no evidence of um, hydrophobia, which is those afflicted with rabies develop like this weird fear of water. And Poe had reportedly been drinking water at the hospital until his death, nor any evidence of an animal bite. Though some with rabies don't remember being bitten by an animal, especially if it was a small animal like a bat or something, um, he could have been bitten by a bat and the bite just wasn't visible. Still at the time of the article's publication, Jeff Jerome, curator of the Poe House Museum in Baltimore, agrees with Benetez's diagnosis. This is the first time since Poe died that a medical person looked at Poe's death without any preconceived notions, Jerome told the Chicago Tribune in October of 1996. If he had known that it was Edgar Allan Poe, he'd think, oh yeah, it's certainly drugs or alcohol, and that would have influenced his decision. However, Dr. Benetez had no agenda. But... I don't mean to sound like a broken record here, but what about the clothes? What about the clothes? I highly doubt that a man would get bitten by a bat, get rabies, and be like, you know what? I think I'm going to wear these strange clothes that don't belong to me. And where did he get the clothes from? Is there like some naked guy running around Baltimore that had his clothes stolen from Edgar Allan Poe? Or did he just like get rabies and he's like, you know what? I'm going to go thrift shopping and I'm going to buy some really ragged looking clothes and wear them around town. I mean, I guess that rabies do stuff to your brain, but I doubt it would make you go on like a Macklemore shopping spree. Uh, theory number seven is a brain tumor. One of the most recent theories around Poe's death suggests that the author succumbed to an undiagnosed brain tumor, which influenced his behavior before his death. When Poe died, he was buried um, rather unceremoniously, in fact. Um, he was in an unmarked grave in a Baltimore graveyard, and I have no idea why he was buried in such like a informal manner. But anyway, 26 years later, a statue was erected honoring Poe near the graveyard's entrance. Poe's coffin was dug up and his remains exhumed in order to be moved to the new place of honor. But more than two decades of buried decay had not been kind to Poe's coffin or the, co the corpse within it. And the apparatus fell apart as workers tried to move it from one part of the graveyard to another. Little remained of Poe's body, but one worker did remark on a strange feature of Poe's skull, a mass rolling around inside. Newspapers of the day claimed that the clump was Poe's brain, shriveled, however intact, after almost three decades in the ground. We know today that the mass could not be Poe's brain, which is one of the first parts of the body to rot after death. But Matthew Pearl, an American author who wrote a novel about Poe's death, was nonetheless intrigued by this clump that was found. He contacted a forensic pathologist who told him that while the clump couldn't be a brain, 
it could be a brain tumor, which can calcify after death. According to Semter, Pearl isn't the only person to believe that Poe suffered from a brain tumor. A New York physician once told Poe that he had a lesion on his brain that caused his adverse reactions to alcohol. So I just think that's a little bit interesting. It could also explain the duality of his personality. Um, the theory uh, number eight is flu. A far less sinister theory suggests that Poe merely succumbed to the flu, which might have turned into a deadly form of pneumonia on his deathbed. As Sumter explains, in the days leading up to Poe's departure from Richmond, the author visited a physician complaining of an illness. His last night in town, he was very sick, and his soon-to-be wife noted that he had a weak pulse, a fever, and she didn't think he should take the journey to Philadelphia. He visited a doctor, and the doctor also told him not to travel, and that he was too sick. According to newspaper reports from the time, it was raining in Baltimore when Poe got there, which Sumter thinks could explain why Poe was found in clothes that were not his own. The cold and the rain exasperated his flu that he already had, and maybe that eventually led to pneumonia. The high fever might account for his hallucinations and his confusion. And you know what? I've been there. I got the flu once and actually I didn't get the flu. I got a flu-like virus. So it kind of sucked because I went to the doctor and I was like, oh my gosh, please tell me that I have the flu. So that way you can give me thermoflu. Is that what it's called? Thermoflu and I can feel better. But no, I didn't have the flu. I had a flu-like virus and there was nothing they could do about it. And I was so sick for like two or three days and my fever was like 103 or 102 and I was hallucinating bad. I didn't put on anybody else's clothes though. So I don't know if that really explains anything, but I guess that they did say that when he got to Baltimore, it was raining. Maybe he had not prepared for rain. And so he borrowed clothes from a friend, but then why didn't that friend come forward and say, oh, I actually let him borrow some of my clothes. Maybe it's because in all the newspapers, it said that he was wearing ragged clothes and none of his friends wanted to own up to that. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Our final theory, murder. In his 2000 book, Midnight Dreary, The Mysterious Death of Edgar Allan Poe, author John Evangelist Walsh presents yet another theory about Poe's death, that Poe was murdered by the brothers of his the brother-in-laws of his wealthy fiancée, Elmira Shelton. Using evidence from newspapers, letters, and memoirs, Walsh argues that Poe actually made it back home to Philadelphia, where he was ambushed by Shelton's three brothers, who warned Poe against marrying their sister-in-law. Frightened by the experience, Poe disguised himself in new clothes, um, accounting for, in Walsh's mind, to secondhand clothing. And I like this theory already because they are taking into account the clothing. And the reason why I'm so obsessed with the clothing is that I don't know how sick you have to be to put on somebody else's clothes. I don't like any theories that do not take that into account because that's very, very weird. Um, anyways, I think that he hid in Philadelphia for nearly a week before heading back to Richmond to marry the love of his life, Elmira Shelton. Um, Shelton's Brother-in-laws intercepted Poe in Baltimore, and Walsh postulates that they beat him and they forced him to drink whiskey, which everyone knew would make Poe very, very sick. 
Um, Walsh's theory has gained little traction, not very much traction, among Poe historians and book reviewers. Um, Midnight Dreary is interesting and entertaining, um, Edward J. Barton concluded, but its value to literary scholars is limited and oblique. Ugh, ouch. Chris Sempter, who is a curator of the Poe Museum in Richmond, Virginia, says he doesn't believe any of the previous theories, but believes it may be a combination of a few of them. Um, but he thinks that it's possible that Poe was most likely suffering from encephalitis or meningitis, either of which might explain his symptoms that he was experiencing before he died. However, it wouldn't explain the fact that he was found in clothes that do not belong to him. So, I don't know if Semter and I can ever agree there, but Semter and I can agree on one thing, and it's something that Semter has said. He says, Maybe it's fitting that since he invented the detective story, he left us with a real-life mystery. So, what do you guys make of the mysterious death of Edgar Allan Poe? Are you leaning towards any of the theories that we discussed today? I'm trying to decide which one I think is the most plausible. So I really am fascinated by the cooping one. And I don't know if it's because I think that that actually happened to Edgar Allan Poe, but because I just find the whole concept of cooping very intriguing. Um, I really like the rabies idea um, because I know that rabies can do a host of like super weird things to you. Um, I'm trying to think of the other ones because there were just so many. There were just so many. Um, I like the idea of the brain tumor. Um, I am curious. Um, okay, so they said that they were trying to move Poe's body from one grave on one side of the graveyard to another part of the graveyard and that there was something rolling around in his head and that the one doctor said it could have been while the brain does deteriorate after death, a tumor would calcify. And I'm wondering why this was never tested and was it tested and there's just no research or like data available from that testing. Um, so that would be, a, I think that's, I like that theory, um, because I know that tumors can make you do a lot of really weird things. Also the, the rabies one, I'm not really quite sure on it because I do know that rabies causes you to have a fear of water. And if he was drinking water all the way to his death, then I don't think that that was it. But if he had a brain tumor, that might explain why his personality, like he had a lot of personality shifts. He also got like super, super sick whenever he would drink. And I know that like people that have brain tumors, um, they get really sick when they drink. It's just kind of like a weird thing that happens. Um, and then I, I don't like the idea of murder. Um, but I do feel like something sinister might've happened happened to him um because the clothes the clothes it's really throwing me off because he either was kidnapped or something and like like made him change into different clothing 
to disguise him or something, or maybe the cooping theory, or, I mean, any of the sicknesses, like the rabies or the whatever in the flu, maybe he just came to to Baltimore and he just wasn't prepared, and so he went to a thrift store, or he borrowed some clothing from somebody. I don't know. It's just, it is seriously a mystery. And I feel like usually I am swaying one way or the other, but this one, I'm really not sure. I think if I, if you like put a gun to my head and you were like, Rochelle, you have to tell me a theory that you like for this. I think I would have to either go with the brain tumor theory or the cooping. And I think it's probably more likely the cooping because it just seems really weird to me. And apparently that was really common back then. I do think that the gang people were stupid for picking such an infamous person, but maybe they just weren't really educated and they didn't realize like how famous he was and they didn't recognize him or something. I just think that if you were going to do that, you want to get somebody that people don't really know. So that way people aren't asking questions. So I don't know. Maybe they didn't read any of his poems. Anyways, what do you guys make of the death of Edgar Allan Poe? Do you have a theory of your own? I'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on the Instagram post that I made today at Mystery Still Unsolved. With it being October and with this being our special episode, um, highlighting Edgar Allan Poe, I found it only fitting to end this episode by reading his most infamous and internationally acclaimed uh, poems, The Raven. If you haven't heard it in a while, or if you've never heard it before, it's a great one. It's eerily beautiful. It's spooky. It's really well done. So I hope that you enjoy it. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow, from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant, radiant maiden, whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating in trance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating in trance at my chamber door. This is it, and nothing more." Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. "'Sir,' said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore.' But the fact is, I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door, darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, 
Long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window, lattice. Let me see, then, where thereat is, and this mystery implore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mine of lord of lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meeting, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door. Bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such a name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely in the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only shock and store, caught from some unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster, till his songs when burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore, of never, nevermore. But the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking, fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. Thus I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing, to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core, this and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining, on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er. She shall press, ah, nevermore. Then, methought the air grew denser, 
perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tingled on the tuft floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee, respite, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh quaff, this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, where, whether tempter sent, or whether tempest toss thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell the soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden, it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels call Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the bird, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked, upstarting, get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie that thou hast spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken, quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart, and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the bird, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting, on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming through his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the door shall be lifted nevermore. Be sure to join us next week when together we'll discover, did anyone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved? <laughs>